0: What is your freedom worth to you? Each of our guests had a lightbulb moment. They longed to live rather than merely exist. They smashed through their fears and programmed minds, trusting themselves, their faith and their survival instincts. Leaving the guilt, fear, oppression and drudgery of their past for a brighter future. They took a brave and courageous step into freedom. This is their story of how they got a life. Welcome to Get a Life podcast, ExCult cult Conversations. You matter and so does your story.
1: everybody
2: welcome to the get a life podcast i'm here with my friend Anne and ross who you've met before and our special guest with us this evening is steve edwards um steve left the brethren a few years back and i'm going to open the floor and steve start at the beginning and tell us your story
3: right. thanks jackie um yeah so if i start at the beginning um my childhood, I had a pretty normal childhood. Um, The funny thing about the Brethren is you listen to different people um, and we were all brought up a little bit differently. Um, Different meetings had different standards and um, some were relatively strict, some were relatively free Um, and some had a reputation for being too free. Um, where I grew up in the High Wycombe area, it was it was it wasn't too bad. Um, and as a kid, when I lived in Marlow, lived down near the river. Um, I used to come and go even as a little child on my tricycle. I would cycle down to the tricycle down to the town centre and High Street. And and growing up, um, I was free to come and go. Um I always thought my parents were too strict because I had some another local family who had more freedom um and they had stuff that I didn't have that I wanted but um wasn't allowed um but looking back at it, it was okay um you know everyone's got their stuff i was we had another family that moved away a boy who's a few years older than me um, and I was sexually abused by him. Um, nothing too serious, but it's there. Uh, I was terrified of that guy. Um,
2: How old were you at that sort of stage when that went on? Steve? Were you sort of under 10? or
3: I was probably that probably, I don't know. Zoe... So Two instances that I remember one I would have been about seven or eight, mm. and the other one I was a bit older. Um, yeah. he came to stay with us, and he was sleep- sleeping in my bedroom. Mm. Um, and I was, I don't know, I was maybe 10 or something that mm. time, 11 a child,
2: essentially, a child. Yeah,
3: a child, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I mean yeah, I mean when I was when I was seven, and this seems you know ridiculous, um he made me climb up a very high tree in the local park, or seen it when I was seven, um, stuck a cigarette in my mouth and said, Smoke this or I'm gonna throw, push you off. Um But you know that didn't didn't kill me I was just terrified of the bloke he was a bully um but yeah I don't want to dwell on that it's not it's not that big a deal it wasn't nice but Mm. I was um I had three sisters so I was you know the only boy so I wasn't into football or anything like that I was more into playing with trains and uh, stamp collections and um but I was very close to my mum I was a mummy's boy um, and my mum was a very godly woman and she gave me a real love of the scriptures the bible and, and taught me that and that was my experience that Jesus was my best friend as a kid and, and that's how I grew up but I had kids around me and so we yeah, we got the tricks as well um, the usual sort of boy stuff and you know, didn't always pay for our sweets at the sweet shop and whatever all sorts and um, I at school obviously there's the usual discrimination um, we were not going to assembly and all of that
2: So sorry to interrupt but presumably you went to a, a mainstream school because like me in, in our youth uh-huh. there wasn't the one school was there so we were in a
3: normal school yeah yes in the infant and then junior school there's quite a few uh, brethren kids around right but I, I then went to a grammar school um and i was the first brethren boy boys only school i was the first brethren boys to have been there for i don't know about 25 years so it was uncharted ground essentially um and that wasn't fun um, I still wanted to be one of the lads. So <laughs> I I was the first boy at the school to wear Doc Martens to school. And it's just a little story. They used to call me Buddha because I stayed out of the um, morning prayers and all of that. And then my name, I became known as Buddha in Boots. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: that might stick, Steve. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that was that was different, and there was the usual, you know, I had hassles at school and all that, but you know, some of it definitely generated by being the brethren. Now I was different, um, and I hated school. I hated it, um, and I I was so glad that I could leave when I was sixteen, even though the head. Um, wanted me to stay on and do A levels and go to uni, which of course now, wish I had done. But I was mm-hmm. desperate to get into the family business, while so I got a job waiting for me, which, um, which I did. And at the age of sixteen, I was put on a train up to the west end of London to go selling. Which for sixteen-year-olds, possibly, you know, yeah. <sighs> with I wouldn't like- do that. With my-
2: how much of that desperate to leave school, I mean, school was an uncomfortable place when you were the only brethren person in a large school, but how much of that desperation to leave school do you think may have been influenced by the environment you were in, in that A-levels in university were not an option oh. anyway? You would, ne- would never be encouraged down that route, would you?
3: No, it's 100%. I mean, I did an essay once about, about it. I don't know what the, my British master thought, but um the sort of theory about you're far better to leave school at 16 and get on and work your way up and earn money <laughs> rather than stay on two years or three years at uni <laughs> yeah. not earning money until much later mm. and yeah um very much the brethren mindset mm. um so yeah being a little rebel i was you know my mum would drop me off at the railway station and i'd pop into the kiosk and buy the sun <laughs> and um, um and packet of cigarettes just to be really you know really cool i hated smoking I hated it and i i couldn't do it but i did try but i just couldn't bear it um and so i you know i was thrust out there and as soon as i could drive i was given a vehicle and I was out and about traveling the country, and I and besides in sales, I was had a lot of freedom, um, which maybe isn't actually that good for a seventeen-year-old. You need a bit of discipline. I think everyone needs a bit of discipline at that age, a bit structure. And I didn't really have any. Just go out, get orders, come back. I did all right. Business was good, so that was fine. And you know, in between. Um, I was doing dreadful stuff. I might stop off at a pub for lunch. And the first time I went to a pub <laughs> in Watford, I sort of parked across the road and I reversed my car in so that I could make a quick getaway in case there was a big fight in the pub. Because, <laughs> you know, pubs are such so <laughs> yeah.
2: Which pub was that, Steve, in Watford? Can you remember? I can't
3: remember. It's in North oh, Watford yeah. somewhere. It
2: may not be there now anyway.
3: <laughs> um, Really nervous going to this pub, and of course, there's hardly anybody in there. And I had a pint of um for 50p or whatever it was, and yeah, and then I would, not I'd you know, get a pub lump sometimes. And, and of course, the other thing was, I got pre recorded tapes, um, listening to music, um, and I would buy wicked magazines like true detective or something you know sort of. <laughs> um, i
2: just wondered what you were going to say there for a minute steve but yeah.
3: And, yeah um yeah and yeah that did come later um but yeah it's a lot of harmless stuff and i would stay away at a lot of places overnight i'd stay in other, with other brethren in other places and over the sort of three four year period um before I was married. I did that and I'd stay for weekends and and I, I enjoyed a good time. And I tended to stay with the more uh, lively element, you might say. And unfortunately did get some reports back from the local leader, I Wickham, um, that I my presence wasn't always totally appreciated. Um and you know, one time went the ski slope you know it's and although someone took me there apparently it was my bad influence that we went to this ski slope right um we went to a fairground down at plymouth once i didn't know it was there i was taken i was very happy to go along but you know it's not the sort of thing we did um but you know, it's um I'm going to come to a bit more about that later. um, When I was 11, my dad had been to three-day meetings with Mr. Symington at Coventry, and he came to where i have been staying for the weekend, and he was telling the family there all about it. And one thing Mr. Symington had said, that the rapture was going to, um come within 10 years so as an 11 year old boy Mm. i knew i had to get married by the time i was 21 if i wanted to do what every boy wants to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's my sort of a big priority in my life and and um and so I did. I got married at 21 and four days. Mm. And um, I, you know, even the dating, and I hear, I mean, Anne, my dating was completely different to yours.
1: Okay. Um,
3: it was my little sister's best friend um initially i picked her up from school when she was 15 <laughs> um and and just drop her off home and her mum was quite happy and then we'd go out for a walk um and then she came to us come to us for a day and and we even went out for days on our own with parents quite happy about it um and yeah nothing untoward happened actually just just shows how terrified we were of Consequences mm. and because it only like a year or two before had been the seven day matter when people had been withdrawn from for seven that de- minimum seven days for um, fornication, adultery, or unclean handling. Um, oh, well. um, and so, yeah, we are absolutely terrified of you know, being tarred with that brush. So yeah, we got married, kids came quickly, as they do, because they did. Um, and and yeah, we had, you know, we, us working the family business, we we're doing all right. I wasn't making loads of money, but we were okay. And we had two little boys, and very close together, um, 15 months apart. And, yeah. um, and we would do, you know, terrible things like we'd take them swimming to local swimming pool, which they absolutely loved. It was great, but of course, it's like you mustn't say anything to anybody. Um, I remember one time um, when banned going to beaches. We went to West Wittering for the day on the Saturday, and the following day we were meant to be going out for Sunday dinner. And we just cancelled because we were terrified the boys were going to say, oh, we went to the sea yesterday. So... <laughs> and and when you look back and... on
2: it, you just had a family day out at the seaside. Hey. Yeah. When you look, yeah, but we understand that fear. When you're in, the fear is just, isn't it? It's, um, yeah.
3: It's just not worth getting caught. Yeah. So, yeah, so we just had to feign sickness. Um, but... Yeah. Um and then as you know, we our second boy, he had a brain tumor. Um and after ten months um, he had having had radiotherapy treatment, there's nothing else I could do, um he passed, which was a really tough period of time. Um but you know at that point, you know, previous to that um I had been having my doubts about God and all of that um, and, and that actually um, gave me a lot of clarity. One particular day I remember um, a little boy had had a um, brain scan, um, this is about four months in, and we were waiting for the results. and. You know, waiting and not knowing—it's excruciatingly painful. And I'm just going round. Re- I, I literally felt I was my head was going to explode. I thought I was going to have a breakdown or something. I just absolutely—the pressure was so great. I just hardly knew how to cope. And I could see the spot on a roundabout in London, a particular roundabout. I was going rounds, and the thought came to my mind. it's a scripture in Isaiah, um, says, I couldn't even get the word right to start off with, but it's, thou will keep in perfect peace the mind stayed on thee. And for me, that gave me a lot of clarity that, and the next bit is, for he confideth in thee, that I just had to trust God. I had to trust the Lord Jesus. Um, I couldn't control this. God was in charge, and I, I had to go with it and that actually really took the pressure off Um, and whilst that scan actually came back and it was good um, it was was quite a life changing um, moment for me Um, and then yeah I mean it I say, he passed a few, six months after that. Um, I'm not gonna go into all of that, but we, except we had, I mean, I guess one of the quite strange thing is that you know, there weren't any of the photo albums around then that the Brethren have of every single household. Um And so my brother-in-law, Um, he was very keen on photography he got some photos printed up and these were sent out thousands of photos were printed and sent out all around the world different people in Australia and New Zealand and the US, whatever um, all around the UK and then of course we get people coming up to us at meetings, oh we've got your picture on our fridge Um, and even years after um, and so we were known to the brethren
2: I mean, in fairness to the brethren, was that done as a sort of symbol of support for you and your then wife, that they'd, you know, the brethren are thinking of you?
3: Very you much so. About. And it was very... Inc- yeah. And I mean, I said yeah. to a customer once, saying about it, and I said, you know, I know every day there's thousands of prayers going up for my little boy. And it was very mm. encouraging mm. us at that time. But yeah, it had that sort of ongoing thing that you'd sort of go somewhere and it's, oh yeah, you're... Harry's dad, aren't you? And mm. um, even overseas. Well,
4: um, yeah, I remember. I remember we used to pray for Harry Edwards. Um, yeah. yeah,
3: I think we
5: had one of the photos. I think
3: yeah. we did as well, yeah, <sighs> yeah. Um, so I just wanted to touch on as well. Um, drink um as most people know there's a fair bit of alcohol around in the brethren it's one of those things that's mm-hmm. been more than tolerated for a long time i mean when i was growing up in the late 60s it was a very exciting time to be, because there's so many changes and mr jim was doing this and that and the other coming out all sorts of new directives and you know sisters could have their hair down they give out hymns at the meetings and, and 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 he made an awful lot of the young people it's young people this the young people that and there was exciting things like toilet rolls being thrown at meetings and paper darts and <laughs> all sorts of, yeah bizarre and basically drums being played and um then of course aberdeen happened and and that sort of changed certain um ministering brothers tried to sort of carry it on but they didn't have the charisma or the authority of jim taylor um but you know so there was in my first first drink i was offered was at three-day meetings um uh, we had two at East at 73 and 75. I'm pretty sure it was 73 when I'd have been 10. And my little sister gave me a glass of whiskey that they had poured for us each. Very, very weak. She was two years younger than me. She might have been 10 and I might have been 12, but I'm pretty sure she was 8 and I was 10. Um, and so there was just alcohol around everywhere. Um And my dad didn't push it any more than anyone else did um but it was a dumb thing at that time because mr simonton drank like a fish too um and and so as a kid i'd had this understanding that drinking was a really good thing because mr taylor drank a lot of um, whiskey and mr simonton drank a lot of whiskey so if you drank a lot of whiskey, it's got to be good. Um, and um, so, and one time I was around with some friends um, and they raided their dad's drinks cupboard and got this bottle of, I guess it was whiskey, and they each had a swig. And it's like, and I had a swig. And I thought, yeah, but I said, oh, yeah, that's great because I wanted to be cool. Um, but then, yeah, I didn't, I don't really remember drinking. I mean, we had sort of, might be given a or something when we were out. Um, and, of course, there was the, the mandatory port at the supper every Sunday morning, um, which is something that I'm afraid I have quite strong feelings about now, that, you know, six-month-old babies are given alcohol. It's, apart from being illegal, it's really dangerous. It shouldn't be done.
4: And they're even younger than that, aren't they, when they're given it? They're sort of like, sometimes given it, sort of like a month, two months old.
3: Yeah, crazy.
4: Yeah.
3: Crazy. Um, and then, you know, just when we used to go to our interchange meeting at Ealing, there was an off-license just up the road by a big grassy area. And we'd all go up there and we'd get beer and we'd all be standing around drinking cans of beer after the meeting. No one batted an eyelid. Um, I was 14 the first time I bought my own beer at that place. Didn't, he didn't, the owner didn't better than I did, and no brethren ever said anything that I recall. Um, it was just accepted. And then when I had friends to stay, or I go and stay with friends, more when I was later teens, 16, 17, 18, um, used to come over to Belfast fairly regularly. Um, we always had drink in the bedroom as well um, so dad's might give us a bit um, but then we'd get to go up to bed and then really start drinking and that just went on and and then when I got married it just carried on I couldn't afford to drink as much um, once I got married um, and 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 for yeah, for 25 years i drank pretty heavily every day i didn't get drunk as such i never it never got me directly into trouble as an immediate consequence of my drinking but there was some pretty heavy drinking going on um, and so By the time I was in my mid-40s, I'd had my own business. I'd been um, self-employed for, I don't know, nearly 20 years by then. And um, and we hit some circumstances where um, the business went downhill, we were in the gardening industry, and the garden industry basically crashed because the BBC stopped um, the garden force program, uh, which was very popular um, and a lot of garden centers closed um, or sold on, and lots of people in the industry had major problems and we had major problems um, and that caused problems at home. We had some pretty serious marriage. Problems. Um, And it was New Year's Eve or early New Year's Day 2010. I decided to go and visit a certain guy's house. Um, And as an upshot of that, um, the following day I found myself in the Priory um, Rehab Hospital. Um, and I basically I was sat in the corner of a room with I think seven maybe five people around me um, basically telling me I had to go into Priory to save my marriage. Um, they said we'll look after your family, we'll look after your business you just go in there and get sorted out Um
2: just to try and capture, I'm trying to imagine the kind of pressure you all would have been under as a family. Um, you had how many children by this stage?
3: We'd had six, so lost one, so we had five at home.
2: Yeah. So five at home, and yeah. you've got a business that has hit hard times through no fault of your own, and a house to well, maintain.
3: i made some bad business decisions as well.
1: Well,
2: yeah. It, or maybe maybe we won't go into that one but yeah okay but you, you you've you shown that um, I mean it's a scenario that in a sense anybody could hit in their life isn't it um, but what I'm trying to capture is you were in a very tight knit community what support did you feel at that time
3: I mean again I mean <laughs> I'm slightly embarrassed Ross because of what happened to you. Basically the Brethren, they came together and they raised a lot of money uh, and they paid for me to go to rehab, no loan or anything, they just paid. Mm-hmm. And they actually raised extra money and they did some, they decorated our hall, did new carpets and the hall staircase and landing and other stuff. Um, very very, and that was across the board, But the, um, that was the interchange and even some brethren outside of the interchange um, gave money. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and, but there was, well, I'll come to that maybe a bit mm, when sure. I came out. Um, but going in, I was terrified because, um, you know, I'd I'd never eaten with anyone who wasn't brethren. And on the way, I, I asked one of the folk with me, I said, you yeah, know, what do we do? What about eating? And they said, oh, no, you, Mr. Hale says you you just basically go with it. You do what they tell you to do. So if you're meant to eat together, you eat together. Um, and so I was really nervous. Um, so, yeah, I went into this very protected um, space, basically a secure <laughs> psychiatric hospital at the end of the day. Locks on the windows, locks on the doors. Um, I had been through, I'd had suicide attempts, and I was actually on, um, I was on hourly suicide watch while I was in there, because I was in a very, very bad way. Um, because just after I got in, I had a visit from a couple of brethren guys who basically gave me some more information about stuff in the marriage, which hit me really hard. Um,
4: so they they basically kicked you when you were down.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think they did it maliciously. They did it to, to let me know what's happening. Mm. Um, and a, a certain guy i be withdrawn from. Um, I think maybe they thought that might have cheered me up. It didn't. Um, and yeah, and I, I basically had a plan. Um, and I let, let this slip to somebody, um, one of the workers in there. And I was put onto one hour. In fact, at that point, they said if you carry on like this, we're going to put you on 15 minute watch. And you won't be able to go to any meetings you won't be able to go swimming we have sort of, various treats you had in there um and you know basically sort yourself out and with support mm. um yeah, I was in-
4: sorry i didn't know if you don't mind asking steve which which branch of the priory were you in because i was in bristol i
3: was at, at roehampton
4: okay
3: yeah the priory, so <laughs> quite quite very very wealthy people there yeah, uh, right. Famous people there, media didn't know were there, and all sorts. So,
4: yeah, I had um, a well-known singer's son in there with me.
3: Right. Yeah, going going in. I yeah, I did not want to go in. Um, I didn't think I needed to be there, but I was told, well, the police um, would look at things sympathetically because what I got up to about a couple of days before, the day before, um, and, um, and so it's like, you need to get in there. Um, and I didn't do anything too bad, a bit of criminal damage, but, um, the priests, they asked me about it and, um, very high up guy that I've read, read with, but, um, but he was sort of one of the top bots in the UK. He said to me, He said, I can understand why you did it, but it wasn't right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but there was sympathy and there was love. Generally, I wasn't treated badly. Um, but, um, yeah, I had to get in there. And that's when I was introduced to the 12 step program and we went to different and to different programmes with different people. So I've been to different fellowships, as they call it, slightly ironic. Um, (laughs) There's Alcoholics Anonymous, there's um, Overeaters Anonymous, there's um, Cocaine Anonymous, there's Drug Addicts Anonymous, you can name it. They say there's 57 varieties, a bit like Heinz, Um, whatever you've got, there's something... Um, as a 12-step program for it. And, and I got into those meetings and I enjoyed them. And I, I liked what I heard. I didn't buy into the program, but I enjoyed the social side of it. And particularly when I came back out, um, I did find you know, quite a lot of support there. And um, it was a positive input in my life. Uh, And when I came out, I continued going to meetings. Um, Not everyone agreed with it, but I was under the understanding that uh, Bruce Hales had his approval. um, And some brethren were very positive about it and some were quite negative about it. And I got it both ways from different ones.
4: I had exactly the same experience.
3: Yeah, yeah. Because I've been in the Priory, I mean, previous to that, brethren had got involved in my business and been trying to help us. But basically, this one guy that was helping me. Um, he said to one of the others, where I was there, he said, You know, there's some businesses you just can't grow. He'd had it with one of his businesses. And so he'd kindly given it to a brother in law. Um, but, you know, it gets a point. And the, our industry was in free fall, um, the best one in the world. We had a product that, had been very fashionable and we could sell it for almost any price and now we had huge stocks um, of product we couldn't sell at any price. It's just it was gone. It was horrendous. Um, so they arranged for me to get a job in another Brethren business where I worked, I would do like an eight hour stint there starting early in the morning and then go to my business in the afternoon. Um, by which time I was down to just one employee then um, and sort of limping along. Um, and I was under huge pressure to actually get rid of it, basically just dump it. Um, but I had huge investment in it um, and I was a bit resistant to that. Um, and And we continued selling product and just selling stock. And for me, it was the right thing to do um because we were just getting some money in anyway I'm, i worked in another business um the guy that i have huge respect for um a very successful business um doing office fit out so furniture and all the kit carpets air conditioning you name it the whole lot um and and i got on well there i, enjoyed, I really enjoyed it um and during that time, um, sorry, jumping around a little bit, when my business was going well, I had lots of jobs in the Brethren. Um, now, I did what we called the dinner list, so the allocation of Brethren every mm. second or third week, when you're talking about 550 Brethren, you know, out for meals and whatever. Um and we developed software for it. Um, I was a guinea pig for that. That was brilliant. And I was a um, regional director at Unifocus, the sort of um, precursor of UBT, and and lots of other stuff. Um, I was involved with school, and um, that's one thing I used to do PE with the boys. Obviously, boys had to be separate to the girls, um, and used to take them to five-a-side football or whatever. Um, and at one um, particular year, at the end of the year, I said to the trustees, and they were happy with it, that I wanted to you know, give the boys a bit of a treat and we'd go to go ape.
1: Mm.
3: So I sent out a letter to the parents, and most of the parents were fine, but some parents like, no way, it's our child going anywhere like that. Is a common entrance I said well, what about when you go to Tesco's but you know yeah
1: <laughs>
3: yeah and then another time we um we'd been over to the war graves in Belgium and we thought it'd be really good to take a load of kids over there so we took um I don't know a year of kids two carloads of us we went over to Belgium for a day went around and, the war graves, and you can go actually. There's some of the old trenches, you can actually see what it was all like. It's a brilliant day out, and then to Bruges in the afternoon. Um, kids absolutely loved it, but, but some folk they were like, No way, we're not doing that. So, even within our own sort of city, um, different people had different standards as to right and wrong, and um, anyway. Back to when I was, this is about twenty twelve. I got this job, um, and around that time there was a lot of lot going on with the Charity Commission, um, who had raised. They basically refused an application for the brethren um, on a meeting room in Somerset. I think it was or Devon, um, and on the basis that the Brethren didn't um, demonstrate any public benefit <laughs> from their charity. And um,
2: I yeah, have a little bit of a different... To clarify for that, I think that was actually off the back of a law change, wasn't it, in 2006? It, yeah, because yeah, the because- had always had charitable status, but the law changed to say that charities had to prove the public benefit to demonstrate uh, yeah. that's where they came unstuck
3: i think um, it was after seven, seven bombings wasn't it because yeah, yeah. some of the guys in that were trustees of a muslim um church
1: right.
3: and and so to be fair i mean i had a bit of a difference of opinion from the brethren but you don't really like to say it at the time mm. Um, and I did say to one or two, I don't know why I just don't go, go to the Charity Commission and say, sorry, we've got it wrong. We've done what we've always done. We've never had to do this before. Tell us what we need to do and we'll go with it. I think they would have respected But instead, the brethren tried yeah, to mean, prove being charitable. They,
2: I think they absolutely would, because um, we actually had a meeting with the Charity Commission some years back, but after 2012, and they very much... Came with the ethos, we encourage charities to change. We're not there to just strike them off the register willy-nilly, you know, without a thought. We're there to try and encourage them to Uh, make the changes necessary so they are fulfilling charitable benefits. And so I can see where your logic came from, Steve. (laughs) Just make the change.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, to me, it seems, you know, the Brethren had. They'd been fulfilling the law because, you know, back in whatever, the 80s, and there was that big case, um, and we then had to put notice boards up outside every meeting. Mm. Um, as far as I was concerned, the Brethren thought they were fulfilling the law and what they were doing, mm. um, and we could easily just said, just show us what we need to do and, and do it, but instead, had this massive campaign to prove that the brethren had always been charitable, mm. which is not how I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, not allowed to ever put a penny in a charity box.
2: Expressly said but, that it was said you would give to the brethren, not to outside the world. The charities outside, if you had spare money, it's given to the brethren, wasn't it? it
1: yeah, was, it, was,
2: um, it was. It was. It was called an unequal
5: yoke, wasn't it? Where right. we were,
3: yeah. we were entering into what the rest of the world were doing, and yeah, 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 and even like Mufti Day, a
2: lot
3: of mm. kids yeah. wear yeah. non-uniform close to school because then they would have to give some money to red or nose
2: to some charity, yeah.
3: Um, so um, I don't want to dwell overly on all this, but um. There was a, um, Baroness Berridge basically did a, um, well, there was a recording of a speech in the House of Lords and um, and we watched it as a family because that was on the approved, that was on the white list that you could watch on your laptops um, and so we watched it. And some of the stuff she said in there, I thought was just didn't make sense. It wasn't right. Yeah. And so I actually called her office and said, look, you know, it's great speech, but honestly, some of it you, um, you've got wrong. It's not all correct. And so she said, well, do you want to come and tell me what it's really like? So, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. I did. Um, and corrected quite a few um, misconceptions. Um, I didn't go there to badmouth the brethren. I didn't... Um, slander anybody or make anyone out to be worse than they were or anything like that um, it's like no this is this is really what we do and mm-hmm. you know, they were laboring under some got some really odd stuff that they thought the brethren did um, and they didn't know so they didn't get bank mortgages and it's like yes we do <laughs> that's just one thing I remember um, anyway that sort of snowballed a bit and I got involved with um, a number members of the House of Lords and the House of Commons, um, senior clergy and government departments and the media. Um, and it got quite big. It was quite scary. Um, but um, I just want to... There was a point when um, I come to a little bit later, but I'll come to that then. I'm just going to read a little bit because I've got
1: Hmm.
3: I wrote a lot of stuff down because I was going to publish a book, which is still it's there. Um, But after a period of time in October 2013, we went to a um, it's called the Achievers Cinema. Mm. No, not cinema, seminar, in um in one <laughs> quarters, and there were about two and a half thousand brethren there. And, and we parked up and we went in we got our drinks and bacon roll and what have you, and then queued up to go into um the main auditorium. And um and even then there was two queues. There's a male queue and a female queue. And <laughs> Um, the men's queue was shorter because we didn't have any handbags. Um, and I went through the x ray scanning machine, um, it didn't respond to me, so I had nothing on me. Um, and I had to wait while they were frisking some people in front. Um, so I said to the guy that was overseeing it all, I said, Oh, you want me to you know, you're gonna frisk me? and he said, Oh, no, you're all right. And so I went through um my wife so, came with me
2: just to clarify this is a brethren seminar but not a meeting have i got that bre- yeah so so it's basically brethren Ooh. frisking brethren to check what they haven't yeah. got recording devices what was the purpose behind that
3: yeah devices or um cameras or anything
2: okay like telephone this achievement seminar
3: yeah, for kids, it's for school kids. We take oh, to right, our daughter. Oh, I see. It
2: was for school kids. Okay, right. Just trying to sort of clarify the scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Anyway, we went in and we sat there and we waited around, and there was talk that um, BDH was going to be turning up, um, and we waited for about two hours, and then um, someone came walking up and down the aisles, looking at every looking along all the rows the guy who previously said to me, no, you're all right. Um, and up and down and up and down, and he disappeared off. And about 10 minutes later, yeah, someone walked up and said they wanted the three rows, that's a row in front of us, our row and the row behind, to go out and, and go through the scanner again, because they detected some electronic activity. So as we were walking out, yeah, one of my local brethren from the interchange said, Oh, um, so they sussed you out then, Steve, had they, with a the big fat grin on his face. And I thought, yeah, yeah, how did you guess sort of thing? Um I knew I was safe because I had nothing on me. And um and so we went through the scan back through the scanners and I was going through, and um, this guy said to me, um, could you step this way, please? I said, okay. And he said, I'm afraid you can't return to the seminar. I'm asking you to leave the premises. I said, why on earth is that? He says, because you've been acting suspiciously. I said, that's ridiculous. What do you mean by that? He said, I can't say, but you've been refused entry to one of these seminars before, haven't you? I said, no, never, I haven't. I made a little argument about that. And I said, I need to speak to someone from UBT. And he said, no, there's not anybody here. And I said, yes, there is. It's calling with them. And he said, oh, well, they're, no, they're all too busy. So um, so I said, oh, well, yeah, he said, it might look like that, but they're all busy and can't spare the time to speak to you. Um, so I said, what about my wife? He said, "We'll go and get her out. So I said, well, probably best not to because of the cringe factor. They said, okay, fine, we'll leave her there. I was then escorted um, out of the area, and um, and they said they wanted me to to leave, go away. So um, I said, well, what if I refuse to leave? And these guys, he wouldn't really mess with, just said, we will encourage you to leave. So... I thought, there's no point. <laughs> I'm not going to.
5: Were these Brethren guys
2: or proper security
3: or what? These were security guys. These official Brethren okay. of Security. Right,
2: guys. so these yeah. were security guys presumably employed by the Brethren to, yeah. And and where was the seminar actually held? Had a hall been hired or some sort of venue? No,
3: it was the UBT headquarters at Warwick.
4: Oh, at Warwick, a, yes.
3: Yeah. Um, right. Huge have been turned into an auditorium.
4: Okay. And also, just for the listeners, how much did you have to pay to go to this seminar?
3: I haven't got a clue. Can't remember. It was refunded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, well, well let's, look let's look on the bright side, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
2: so so they have this seminar set up, but they obviously bring in scanners and independent security pe- personnel. But from the way you're describing it, bear in mind the only people there are brethren community people yeah. who should all be one big happy family because that's what they like to promote, isn't it their sense of community but yeah. it sounds like you went through something akin to airport security
3: exactly the same yeah yeah yeah.
2: yeah
3: um I mean and that was all done by the brethren. these security yeah. guys are more on the vet, on. <laughs> on the outside on the boundaries nice. just sort of keeping make sure we weren't being sort of mopped by yeah opposers. What
5: was it because BDH was going to be there or was was that general in the
1: seminar
3: no i think that's always like that um, okay. there was a room that he was going to be there but he, he didn't turn up um so anyway uh, they then had to get the keys for the cars because the cars were parked in locked in so I couldn't just drive off. So they didn't have to get the keys, a couple of cars in front of me, and move them out of the way. Eventually, I got out and started to drive off, and a little white van came out behind me with a like grey, big, long aerial on top, and um, and started following me. So we had a little bit of fun. And I got rid of him, and um, but I was—I mean, I was in a mess. I was completely freaked out. It was horrible, horrible. Mm. Well, you um, didn't know
2: what you'd done. You didn't know what this was all about, presumably.
3: No, I didn't. I had no... I mean, okay, so I had been in touch with persons that the Brethren might... I definitely wouldn't be particularly impressed about. Mm. Um, I didn't realise that anyone knew anything about it. It was the first I mm. knew of it. So they it must have sort of gone onto something but didn't have any real evidence it kept me red-handed unfortunately i wasn't red-handed um and then i heard a, a rumor afterwards that i was covered in wires was a rumor that was going around the country <laughs>
4: um, God.
1: yeah And that was we, we know about
2: the, the the chinese whispers yeah. amongst the closed community Yeah. <laughs>
4: they get more and more fantastical,
3: don't they? They do. Yeah. So, because BGH was in the country, we also had an invitation to the button. Um, where, I'm going to speed this up a bit because there's other stuff I want to talk about. Um, sure. but it turned up there, and I was eyeballed on the way in by the security guys, and came over to greet me when I parked the car and said, can you come with us, please? And I said, what's going on? And he said, we're going to search you. As long as you're okay, you can carry on. It's normal. So they searched me. They, I had to take my belt off, my shoes off. They took the pen out of my pocket, tried to take that apart to make see if there's a microphone or camera in it or anything. And it was nothing. Um, I wasn't so stupid as to go there with anything with me. Yes, I had, I'd had. i got my own laptop by then. I got my own Phone by then, but I wasn't taking those to fellowship meetings or brethren mm-hmm. seminars. Um, and yeah, so and then to so got inside, and I sat right at the back of the brothers' rows on the end, waiting to hear my feel my collar be felt. And um, after about half an hour, there was a oh Steve. I was like, oh, here we go. And it's like, we need this row to move out um, to make room for more sisters because there's a shortage of seats for sisters. So then we go out, let's go out in the foyer. But they've got big screens up so you can see um, BDH once he was there. And so I was standing by this screen and it's, oh, Steve, can you come and sit over here? So I had to go and sit um, coincidentally next to the nephew of the guy BDH was staying with. Um, so, whether there's anything in that
2: one? Or... Just paint a picture and tell me if it's inaccurate for people that perhaps aren't familiar. If there's a meeting with BDH, the room is usually very, the meeting room, the meeting hall is usually very, very full, isn't it? It's and rent, my writing, Yeah. They'll put screens up around the out the foyer and the outside, so people can actually congregate in the foyer and so on, so that they can effectively get as many people as possible to listen.
1: Yep.
3: To-
2: have I painted that picture you're describing correctly? Right. Yeah,
3: yeah, they've got big screens.
4: And in, so, re- in recent times, the uh, meeting halls were built so that the doors literally folded right back between the meeting room and the foyer so that it was one big room. Yeah.
3: Yeah, well, I was right foyer, and even though I sort of I could see into the room where I was sat, I couldn't see the front row. I didn't get a glimpse of the great man. But I could see him on the screen Um,
2: Like a pop concert really (laughs) (laughs) Not as much fun I don't think No maybe not as much fun (laughs) See the
3: the stage Um, But So it was i lost a lot of weight that week Between those two instances Uh, It was horrific Absolutely horrific I was totally freaked out Mm. because nobody came up to me and said Steve you know we think you're doing something it's all completely this elephant in a room and mm-hmm. nobody said "Yeah." Uh, my wife and older son they came to me at night and they said hey, what's it all about there must be something else. I was like, I don't know I do not know why it's happened um, well you know it's slightly tricky because I had a pretty clear hunch why it had happened but i didn't know why it had happened so i said i didn't know why it happened mm. um and so you know this all went on and on um and yeah i was watching yeah you know, i was on the sort of peeps you dot know, peeps net peeps dot net mm. yeah um, I, that was very interesting giving me a bit of insight um, and I did. I met up with one or two, two ex-brethren. Um, one of who, whom, whom um, was an old friend of mine, and and he said to me that the brethren are a cult, and I was like, no way, no way. Um, and he said to me, I didn't become a Christian until after I left the brethren i was like rubbish um fully programmed pb that i was at that time and um and i didn't yeah i didn't have a lot of contact with people with ex brethren at all very little in fact um but then um a while after the that October, uh, in the new year. Um, I'm just going to read something here. Um, so this whole period shook me up a lot as I never wanted to lose my family and I was really worried that the brethren would find out what I'd been up to. So early in the new year, I utterly destroyed my laptop, smashing up with a sledgehammer to ensure no evidence on it could be used against me. I remember one evening around that time with another Brethren family at our house, having a thoroughly good time thinking, I don't ever want to lose this. This was exactly my dilemma in the brethren with the Brethren. It's an extremely good social life with a very high standard of living, coupled with a huge level of control. I love my job, working in a successful Brethren business, dealing with all types of clientele from huge global conglomerates um, through to fairly small businesses. I have five wonderful children whom we brought up to be fully committed to the Brethren ethos. I had siblings and many great friends within the Brethren. I was terrified of losing all this and of having to live out there in the big bad world. I'd spent a lifetime thinking that worldlies were all godless, wicked people with any real sense of righteousness or moral awareness. It had been said so many times that if you go out into the world, then you go out into the darkness." John Hales had said that to leave the testimony where we were privileged to have the most light was the spirit of apostasy. The brethren looked down on other Christians and referred to them derogatorily as Christendom. The brethren are so brainwashed into a state of mindless conviction that they are right and everybody else is inferior in terms of character, discernment, lifestyle, ethics and knowledge of God. It is commonly stated that we don't want to un- un anyone, but, whatever, the sense being that unless you're in the Brethren, then you're not a real Christian. It creates a huge amount of fear of being excluded from this most privileged basis. Within this background of perceived God-given and blessed circumstances, I struggled with a lot of behaviour of the Brethren under Bruce Hales' regime. So many precious, lifelong principles have been thrown overboard by BDH and the organisation have been turned upside down. Whilst, when I was growing up, brothers in places of responsibility were there due to their spirituality and knowledge of the Bible and the brethren teaching. This was forsaken in favour of those who were successful in business and had good managerial capabilities, who were skilled at strictly enforcing Bruce's edicts a business know-how. Since the marriage breakdown, I'd been relegated to a back seat and removed from any position of responsibility. I still took part in meetings occasionally, but was no longer invited to do so. I was only asked to preach on very rare occasions, and to be fair, this was a relief, as I found it such a strain, as I'd feel obligated to inject some glowing spiel about the great leaders and our brother currently. The meetings at that time had become so far removed from Christian teaching that I struggled to engage. Sometimes things were said that I thoroughly disagreed with, doctrinally or factually false or unsound, but I wouldn't object every time without appearing, I thought, as Mr. Angry. One time a brother quoted Jim Taylor saying, "'When you're wrong, you're right.' I challenged this and stated that Mr. Taylor had said, when you say you're right, right." Mm. Uh, if you've been wrong, (laughs) which is substantially different. And this correction was accepted. Another time, a local brother quoted BD saying that his father's sufferings were in the same league or principle or condition as Christ's. I didn't dare object to this publicly, but spoke to a well-read older brother about it, and he completely agreed not be correct that John Hales Hales did not include atoning sufferings. Um, And then in June 2014, Mm. one evening um, my son said to me, said, have you still got that phone? Stoke knew I got a phone. Um, And I justified it because I was in a 12-step programme um, and I said, I'm not having UBT monitor my phone. I said I have confidential phone calls and messages and stuff. I'm not having UBT monitor it. Of course they denied that it was. And I said, sorry, it is. I know it is. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not going for it. Um and so yeah, my son said, Have you still got a phone? I said, Yeah, I have. He said, Why? You know it's wrong and you shouldn't have it. Um he said it's inconsistent with going to the table at the supper i explained that going to the table has nothing to do with what phone i have it has to do with my link with christ and that ubt is a complete ripoff.
1: Mm.
3: he says you know that mr hales knows better than we do and he gets what he says direct from the lord i said i'm sorry but it says in the Bible about not laying up for yourselves, which is completely the opposite of what the brethren are doing with UBT. Then it's, Mr. Howes knows more than we do, and we have to trust what he says. I said, I am not prepared to go against what the Lord says. I do not accept. I should put ministry ahead of the Lord's word.
1: Mm.
3: The next, day, um, I actually... So lunchtime, I'd been asked to um, do a little talk at a a 12-step meeting, and I just picked a random reading from a bit of literature. And the title of the page was Freedom from Prism, which a a few hours later, I um, thought was interesting. That night, we got home from the interchange meeting And um, my oldest son said that he was actually coming home for the night. He'd normally stay over there because he worked that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said he was coming home. So my other two boys had gone out to kebabs and we shared those. And I went to bed about quarter past ten. I was getting undressed. I got a knock at the door to say that a certain person was at the front door and wanted to talk to me. So I pulled on some clothes and went downstairs and said, yeah, um, you just come outside. I want to talk to you. So I went outside and it's like, can you come just jump in the car? Probably better there. So I went to the car and there's two other guys sitting in there and I got in the front passenger seat and, and this was read out to me and Steve, we are here to tell you you are being confined for speaking to persons out of fellowship. Your good friend, Laurie Moffat, has dogged on you. You have been, I have been speaking to persons out of fellowship and passing information to them. So I said, yeah, I have spoken to Laurie Moffat, but not much. It says, Laurie has given us lots of information. You've been speaking to lots of people. You need to get right come clean it will be confirmed in the meeting tomorrow night you can't be there you can stay in the house at the moment and your family can stay there as well but you can't eat with them Gotta keep separate um so that was a bit of a shock
2: so again to put this into context for us three it's kind of familiar terminology but to put this yeah. into context what this actually means for you the knock on the door was quarter past ten at night, not the most social hour. You had to get no. in the car where there were three brethren men sitting there to talk to you. Yep. You were never asked if you wanted any support with that meeting. You had to see None. them on your own. And yep. then you had this statement read out to you yep. that basically had the potential to rip your life away. Yeah. Because <laughs> You'd been having contact with somebody or some persons who had left the brethren.
4: Not a lot of contact, but Mm. I mean, basically, basically you were ambushed.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, essentially. Because actually, one of these guys agreed to be at the meeting. You wouldn't have known anything was going on.
2: No. And then the other thing that I think it makes me feel quite angry you then get told the brethren will discuss this at the meeting and you can't be there. Mm. Now, how is that right? How is it right that you're accused of a brethren crime, but you're told to stay at home yep. while they discuss it? That's like saying yep. you're accused of a crime and we're taking you to court, but you've got to stay at home. You and there's nobody there representing you, and the person accusing you's lawyers will discuss it with the judge. I'm yep. sorry, no, it doesn't work like that, does it? It's
3: a complete kangaroo no yeah, defense, yeah. I don't the story. I had no support, no one to um,
2: To advocate for you, or to even offer you emotional support.
3: Exactly, exactly. But that's just what they do. It's just a you and many
2: others, sadly.
3: Many, many others. Yeah. Mm. So, um, anyway, so the next day. Um, I went to my work, not mm. to the brethren I was in and, um, and nobody contacted me or anything until, um, in the evening. And I'd actually gone to a 12 a step meeting and it mm-hmm. was what we double basically There's one at six 30 and one at um, eight o'clock. And I decided to do the double. Yeah. When I came out of the 8 o'clock one, which was 9 o'clock, um, guys there had said to me, I've explained about you know what happened a little bit, and so some guys said, well, we're going out to a restaurant, you want to come with us, come for a meal. So
1: yeah.
3: might as well. And so I went to my car to get my wallet, and as I got to the car, the hazard lights were flashing, and I thought that's a bit odd, but it was parked on the end in the car park, the church car park, And I thought, oh, someone just bumped it or something. And I got in and I pulled the door shut. It's like, that's a bit weird. And I looked round and um, the rear passenger window was smashed. And um, now this is my recollections from the time. Mm. I'm just going to read. I looked for and found my wallet, which had £80 cash on it, on the front passenger seat. Um, and got out to survey the damage. I checked that my briefcase was untouched and found that my laptop had gone from the front passenger footwell. My laptop was a few years old. It was it was a desperate need for replacement. Um, my wallet which had been on my on the front passenger seat with £80 cash in it was still sitting there. But this Wrecked old laptop had disappeared from the passenger footwell the day after I was shut up. Now, obviously, the brethren wouldn't do anything like that. No, no,
1: but
3: (laughs) (laughs) strange, isn't there? Yeah. Um, do, I,
5: do I send some Sarkel in there? <laughs>
2: <laughs> was this a, a would this have been your own laptop, so an independent one or a UBT laptop?
3: It was a UBT laptop, rented one, yeah.
2: Yeah. So <sighs> it probably wouldn't have been a huge amount of good to a smashing no. opportunist, would it, really?
3: It had lots of records on it, lots of breath and yeah. stuff. Yes. Thankfully. Anything that was vaguely incriminating was always on a memory stick, right? Yeah, which they did, which sorry, wasn't stolen by passerby.
4: Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> <or> passerby.
2: And <laughs> presumably, you never got that laptop back.
3: No, no. We reported it to the police. Um, <laughs> I got a crime number, but. Now, it's funny, something, you'd think something like that would have been dumped mm. and someone would have reported it and it would have been, yeah. But no, no, it wasn't found. Um, maybe someone thought it was valuable out there, I don't know.
2: I'm sure um, that people thought had valuable information, Steve. Let's leave it there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, we, we went out to a restaurant and I was there I got a phone call from one of my priests Um so I sort of dived out the restaurant because I didn't want anyone to think I could possibly be anywhere so wicked. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I chat outside and I told them about it. And said, oh, you poor guy, you know. And so mm-hmm. anyway, so um, so yeah, I mean, the guys I was, with, I was with, they were very kind. You know, they didn't let me pay for my meal, um, and you know, extremely supportive. Um. I just said on here, this was my first social meal in a restaurant and I felt very out of place Mm. as the environment and situation was so alien. Mm. The guys found the whole thing completely bizarre, which became a common experience for me as people struggled to comprehend how this kind of society could exist in 21st century Britain. Yeah, yeah. So many times people were just aghast when they heard my story.
1: Every time.
3: Every, every time. time. Yeah. yeah. So then I had to tackle um, the brethren job thing. Um, and I was basically summarily sacked from there. I did show the letter, which, of course, I've still got, um, to a barrister that was um, at one of the meetings I went to, um, as in the barrister, central London, high-flying barrister, um and he said that is nothing but religious discrimination. Mm. So anyway, we can leave that for another day, but might come in handy sometime. Mm. Uh, two pages of A4 of all the reasons why I was exact and none of it was anything to do with my job.
1: No. no. It's all
3: open stuff. Um and most of it was hot air. Um
2: it wasn't even proven proven. Crimes, I put the crimes in inverted commas.
3: They <laughs> oh, jumped to conclusions that some stuff that was on the web yeah. had come from me, and it hadn't. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, um, so... so at this point,
2: you were confined. So, what yeah. implications did that have for your family at that time?
3: I'm just going to come to that. Okay. Um I had, so on the, so about four weeks later, I got home from work and my wife said to me, she said, there's one thing I'd like to say to you. The children are finding it very difficult with you living in the house. My oldest daughter had finished at school. and She said, it's like her life has come to a standstill. She can't have anyone to say or do anything with her friends. We're meant to go to someone's house before the meeting. We don't manage to, there's never time um so
2: but again if i can just pick up on that is, is this a ritual that actually happened if someone within the household is confined the members the aunt, that aren't that on the way to the meeting have to kind of go and to another brethren house on the way to whatever Plen. 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 It, yeah. yeah yeah my 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 children had to they had to do the it, same
5: when my children were living with me they had to do that they had to spend yeah. Ten minutes in
4: my parents' house before they went to the meeting. Yeah, my, my my parents had to do the same, so they didn't come from an unclean household. Mm.
3: So, and then funny, funny enough, the next day, my daughter asked me if I could cut her hair, trim her hair. You know, so she wasn't that freaked out by me having me in the house. Yeah. But yeah, um, and this is a girl she'd go to the hairdressers have her eyebrows
1: mm. trimmed. Mm. And I would ask
3: that hair so. And then one night, after that few days after that, one um, of my sons came to my bedroom door and said, asked if he could talk to me. He said, he's really stressed with the situation and not knowing how it's going to turn out, and it was affecting his performance at work, and that he was making costly mistakes, etc. He was very tender and loving, and it clearly cost him a lot to talk in this manner. As I was explaining how it affected me. My oldest son entered the room, um, and I said, hang on, look, we're just having a conversation. And he said to his brother, don't listen to it. It's a load of crap. I've heard it all before. Come on, come out. The younger one stayed in the bedroom, and so they both end up staying in the bedroom, and we carried on talking. And so... The younger one said that he believed in BDH and held him as a prophet, so, um, citing an example he'd heard the previous weekend in, about a French brother with a vineyard that BDH had told him to sell. He also spoke about some Brethren's business experience, how they've been advised to, um, they've had some business advice, and viewers selling the business. Um, and basically the sales shot up. And then they were told, no, actually, you keep the business because the testimony needs money. And a regular quote at the time was BDH is the testimony. So the testimony mm. needs money. Um, mm. Then the younger of the two expressed himself that If I was going to reject BDH, then he had no place with me and wanted me to leave the house at the end of the opportunity. The older brother said that in view of the pressure on the kids, I should leave. He said that his younger sister didn't want to come home when I was in the house. He said that from her point of view, she'd always relied on me as her dad, even when there was problems. And then suddenly, at the age of 15, she learned I was rejecting BDH, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a massive shock to her. And, of course, I mean, the the fallout for the kids was horrendous. Absolutely.
2: But, again, trying to picture, at at this point in time, where were the brethren with you? Were they giving you opportunities to put things right, in whatever that might mean? Were you clear about what you'd done wrong?
3: Um, I told them pretty much what I told you about what i have done yeah and i apologized to them i said and if in doing so i've caused any problem harm the brethren then i sincerely apologize and i ask your forgiveness i was going to come to this and they said well we can't forgive you because we don't know all the detail funny enough in some personal circumstances or so three years earlier mm. um I had been told some basically that that stuff that had happened within my household, mm. um, and that I had to, the priest knew all about, and that I had to trust the priest. I didn't need to know the detail um, from my own family. Um, and now it's the other way around. Mm. They couldn't give me unless they knew all the detail. And, and later on, a few years later, I mean, I brought this up with them occasionally. I said, you know, when are you going to forgive me? And then one time they said, yeah, we do, for- we forgive you in principle. And I mentioned this to a, a guy at church, and he said, so, so, quoting the Lord's Prayer, so, Father, forgive us our sins in principle as we forgive those of others also in principle. You know. <laughs>
1: it's
5: It's just parroted language that they that we were taught to say that actually i don't think anybody's even stopped to think what it means or whether it even means anything
3: no not so but during that period of time before i was Shut up. Not one single person ever approached me and asked me if I've got a problem or what was the problem or how could they help me? Is there anything we can do? And a um, long standing priest, who's actually slightly younger than me, but one of my you know, friends, um, he would actively avoid me in the car park and I challenged him, challenged him about it. And he said, No way. But <laughs> My recollection is that he most definitely did, because I tried <laughs> walking up to him, and he changed suddenly changed direction. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after um, I'd been shut up, um, I was asked if I would go and visit a psychiatrist um, in Harley Street, um, the top psychiatrist, um, because clearly I wasn't well. So I went to see this psychiatrist um, with my sister and and um we had time on our own and then she was he said he'd see her at the end. So he said to me, he said, yeah, you know, after we had a long talk through everything, and mm-hmm. and he said, he said, um, he said, I forgive you stuff, I could give, I could prescribe you with some medication, but he said you'd be better to wash your hair in it. And then he called my sister in, and and he said, um, he said, Steve is showing signs of depression and anxiety, and I would be very worried if he wasn't, given the circumstances. But he does not need any medication. Wow. That was, yeah, I was quite relieved about that.
1: Well, good
2: um, for the psychiatrist,
3: for saying this it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like a brethren approved psychiatrist, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to have to jump on a bit. Mm. Um, so I I then had to move out of the house, basically. You know, I was being put under pressure to move out. And I, I understand it for the kids' sake, I'm, you know. Um, and, but it... And the brethren, you know, they said, you know, we will do everything we can to get you back on the straight and narrow and stuff like this. But um, we were what on different tracks.
2: I'll say, what else could you actually do apart from saying, I'm sorry, and if I've hurt the brethren, I'm sorry? What else could you do, Steve?
3: <laughs> well, you know, to get, if, I, if I went, if, they if I had to, wanted to go back in, I would have to tell them every detail. That's just how they operate. And. Um, and I, you know I wasn't gonna um, yeah. But as I'm concerned, they didn't need to know. I mean, John in Luke fifteen, the younger the reprobate son, he he didn't tell his dad everything. Mm. He said, I didn't.
1: Yeah.
3: And it's like whoa, welcome in, you know. Um and also, and
4: also you would have probably been forced to um say that you agreed with everything
3: BDH said when you obviously had query. Mm. I couldn't go back. I was just, I was so uncomfortable in the meetings. Mm. It was just so far. I mean, doctrinally, stuff was being said that was just so Mm. out of order. Mm. It was bonkers. It was just brethren speak. It wasn't factually correct Mm. or doctrinally correct, in my opinion. Um, and, um, And there's so much that I disagreed with that was just fundamentally wrong. I could not have lived in there. Um, I could not have lived in there. And someone said to me, when I was bemoaning the facts, you know, about how awful my circumstances were, and this guy that i was very close to, he, he helped me a lot um, in my recovery. He, um, he said to me, Steve, he said, when you were in there, you found it really, really difficult. He said, God plucked you out of it and now you're complaining.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> that's, yeah, <You> know, yeah. <laughs> that's a really good way to look at it yeah
3: i wasn't complaining about not being in a brethren but i was you know no, was no, no. Okay. yeah but,
1: yeah yeah
3: it's not nine, nine years just um four days ago since i was had that knock at the door um and i've had minimal contact um since then um I've had expressions of love from my kids you know we have had messages i have met my boys on a very few occasions um i have massive hugs of them um and in fact interesting talking of hugs um brethren you know aren't allowed aren't meant to shake hands with someone who's out of under discipline well the night that i was withdrawn from by two of my old mates um they had done this. Uh, told me, and I just laughed. And they said, "Yeah, we thought you wouldn't be too fast." Um, anyway, they gave me, and I said, "Why?" We went through all the stuff, and and then they were going. I said, "Come on, in, give me a hug, just <laughs> just to see." And they both gave me a nice big hug.
2: <laughs> it's just farcical, isn't it? <laughs> it, it's, just it's, like the, it it's like the. It's like I'm sure the times you've seen your children, you feel that. It, there's still that connection there. You are their parent, but oh, and they will behave. And then there's that sort of oh, but then and, and and I th- I actually think I mean I might be wrong, but I think that is probably the majority of the reason why the children don't contact their parents, like your children, Anne, and your children, Steve, is because they know when they do, as you you've said to me in the past, and it's still mum, it's still dad. And they yeah. actually can cope with that dissonance
1: that, yeah, here's, yeah. The man love,
2: here's the mum I love, or the son yeah. I love, or Case Ross. Yeah. But they can't, you know, they can't cope with that, reconciling it with how they think they're supposed to behave. And it's tough mm-hmm. for yeah. them, isn't it? It
3: tough is. Tough. But I mean, you know, there's priests. <laughs> I think yeah. they should have known better. I mean, they just did what they felt was the right thing to do. And unfortunately, you know, in brethren sort of rules, they were wrong, but it was fun at the time. So just fast-forwarding a bit, I then, um, I went to a variety of churches because my faith had suffered, I'd struggled um, through all of this because, you know, if this is really what Christianity is all about, then, you know... You understand. Um, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I, I don't want any part of it if this is what it is.
1: <laughs>
3: if this is what God is, I yeah. don't want it. But mm. I didn't lose faith in God. I didn't. And basically, I believe, you know, you can't blame God because men are wrong. Yeah. Um, people do things in the name of God that
1: are
3: mm. 100% wrong, totally wrong. And we sit in many, many ways. And the breath of dirt. <laughs> As well, yeah. they don't go around murdering people physically, yeah. but they murder them morally and emotionally.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, and so I, I went to churches. Um, I went to some Church of England to start off with, which was uh, I didn't find it that, like congregation of six with an average age of eighty. Um, mm. And a pride, <laughs> the social life uh, wasn't
1: quite well. <laughs> Yeah.
3: I I moved to Oxford um to near to Oxford a little village and one day I on Sunday I, I looked up well someone said to me what you need is is an independent evangelical practice church he said that's where you'll you'll find home sort of thing so I googled this and and I found one and I went there um and I was really welcomed it was nice um and the funny thing was, at the beginning of the service, they did a little talk for the children. And um, I don't know if you read Pilkin's Progress in early years, but a yeah. um, guy, guy called Christian, you know, yeah. um, basically he had this conversion and then he, he left home. Um, and, he's talk- and the pastor was talking about this, this Christian guy who'd left home and his wife and his children were saying, come back, come back, you must stay with us. And it was, you know, my hairs were on edge. It was incredible. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, the following Sunday, um, I was going to go there again. And, and I checked my, my watch and the sat nav, and I wasn't going to get there in time. So I quickly, there was another church in Oxford that I'd looked at website on, and that I thought looked pretty good. So I checked the time to get there, and I could get there in time. So I um, barreled off there. Um, in a bit of a hurry so I was running late, got there and um, it's half ten service and I got there and it was just, just gone half past and I parked across the street and ran across and uh, I see people inside I went to open the door and it's locked and someone came to the door and um, I said have you started already? I thought you started at half past he said yeah half past ten, it's only half past nine <laughs> I, there and there and. <laughs> um, I,
2: I thought you'd found another church that locked their doors Steve you? They weren't open, really.
3: <laughs> in church. and these guys you know for me for me that wasn't a coincidence that I went there because they actually had quite a few people in the village where I was um, or adjacent village um, very close and I ended up in a home group there, a really strong home group with meet on the Wednesdays. Anyway, that first Sunday I got there, after church, someone came over to me because I was sitting on my own just a wreck and um and came and talked to me and then asked me back for dinner for lunch at their house. And they had another couple and and the other couple of guests, they basically they lived near where I was and they sort of became my surrogate parents. They weren't much older than me, but they put their arms around me and they cared for me and they had me for meals and they did loads. Like, absolutely amazing. The welcome I had was just unbelievable. One of the most shocking things, though, was turning up on Sunday morning. They all looked like they'd just come back from picnic. They were so scruffy. You know, having <laughs> been to Brethren churches, which are more like business meetings, and everyone's, you know, no, no jeans, no chinos, no brown shoes, they no, you know, everyone's a more
1: dress code
3: yeah Uh, yeah yeah i I, yeah i really struggled with that it's like are you taking this seriously guys you know don't you realize where you are (laughs) Um, and so um i'm going to accelerate this a little bit there's a lot i wanted to talk about here but Mm -hmm. i found you know the welcome i had there was just absolutely amazing the support the love the care, the kindness, um, without anybody asking for anything back. Um, I also found that guys that were 20, 30 years younger than me were better read in their scriptures and better understanding doctrinally of the scriptures. Mm. And I, you know, I was a fairly, I was fairly proud of my knowledge of scriptures in a brethren. You know, I was one of those clever clogs who, when anyone said, oh, where's the scripture about? Mm. I want to be the one picked up the mic and said, yeah, it's in it's obviously 26th, 14, whatever. Firstly, <laughs> go out there and the chalk and cheese. I was like, nothing. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. And you see, this couple that sort of adopted me, they were both professors at Oxford University. They lived in a house that my sons or other brethren kids wouldn't even look at as their starter home. Mm. These guys, they would be giving tens of thousands a year to missionaries and um, mm. to church. Mm. They live very, very simple life. They drive a battered old car, um,
2: but they're very the, rich because they have enough.
3: Exactly, oh,
1: um, that's
3: the point, isn't it? Yeah, real Christians, and it was a shock. It was a real shock. I bet. And it's like my, equation, you know, you're earning all this money. Why don't you? get a better car. Why don't you, you know, yes. have better food? You know, where's a nice big roast joint? Why is it a 199 the pizza or whatever? Mm. And um, absolutely amazing. And then we'd have these Wednesday night home group sessions and, and then they'd sit around and they'll pray. Mm. And, you know, brethren prayers are like, you know, you're long if you're two minutes. Mm. Some of these guys pray for 10 minutes and yet it's amazing. And I would listen, rapt attention, to the way... I didn't know how to pray. No. When I left the Brethren, my prayers were shopping lists. It's God, oh, I need this and this and this and this and this and this. Mm. You know, make this person well. Give me some orders today. Help me do this. And da 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 And I've been taught, you know, very differently that I need to pray to ask for the grace to get through the day. I need to be able to um, have that faith in God, that God knows better than I do. Um, He knows the beginning from the end or the end from the beginning. You know, the brethren talk about their prayer meeting as a power meeting. That's blasphemous. They really think they know better than God and they have to instruct God on what to do. It's bonkers. It's crazy. It's really crazy. And and so, um, yeah, I've got quite involved in that church there it was lovely um yeah. and i got asked that, you know to lots of people had me to their houses and loads of support i also um they put me under a bit of pressure i want they asked me if i want to become a member of the church and mm. i was like well i don't know um and then yeah and then they said well you'll need to be baptized because it's a baptist church i said well no i've been baptized already and they said well no, as baptists we believe you should um, believe and be baptised. It's not child baptism. So I said, well, I think my, my parents baptised me in faith, um, and so, yeah, I'm not going to be baptised again. And so they were quite decent about it. And they said, okay, if that's what you really feel. We'll go along with it. It's not what we normally do, but in your circumstances, we'll, we'll go with it. And then someone said to me, I just had a chat with me about it, and he said, you know, Steve, said, sometimes people, they keep have married for a long time, and they will go through their marriage rites again. It's not that they've, it's not they're getting married again. It's no. just like a... Re- and you could look at your baptism like that and have a church baptism. It's just like a refresher. And it wasn't like... You, it wasn't put me under pressure, but it's just like, have you thought about it this way? But I thought, actually, I like it. So I was baptised again in Baptist church, which again was an amazing experience, like another sort of fresh start. And um, and then I also I got involved with street pastors um, and street pastors aren't people that go around preaching. What they do, it's an interdenominational um, group of people, and it's you know, all around all over the country where different churches they will send one or two um, of their congregation and they'll all come together Friday night, Saturday night, whatever. Down in the town centre, city centre. This is Oxford city centre, which is pretty lively at the weekends, with thirty-five student, thousand students there. Um, and they just go out there. Just and we have rucksacks. We go out. We got bottles of water. Um, we got flip flops for the girls who can't walk in their high heels. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've got,
3: we got try and get some sugar into them um mm-hmm. because often they'll be drinking and not eating anything and um mm-hmm. and oh bits and pieces just to, and to, just support and sometimes people would ask us to pray with them we work closely with the police we'd have a police radio so we could hear you know where the hotspots were and we could go along um and the police they said the crime always drops when the street passes around and we all togged up uniforms and that and we could go in you know two o'clock three o'clock and you've got four nightclubs all closing at the same time. And it's mayhem. And we could be walking through the middle and, and never a problem. The, yeah. the, these young folk were so respectful and so decent and laughing and joking and giving us hugs and kisses. and They were half cut. And, and yeah. saw the very occasional ruckus, hardly anything. Just lots of people completely ratted you know thrown mm-hmm. up and, and yeah so sort you of end up with falling on my like shoes and trousers and stuff like that you know
2: <laughs> goes
1: with the territory <laughs> yeah
3: Part of it. and you know and it's amazing i saw these people and most of them 80 percent of them were not drunk they're just doing their hair going out having a good time behaving well and going home mm. that's what we were taught in the brethren absolutely fine um and and then also, you know, I've met up with um, extended family who were drawn from decades ago uh, yeah. and I've established links with them. Um, and and with ex you know, I had brethren ex-Brethren invite me abroad and I stayed with ex-Brethren abroad mm. um, and had great times. Yeah. You know, there is when I was in the Brethren. The thinking in there is: if you go out, you go out into darkness. You yeah. will, you won't make it. It's terrible. It's wicked. It's evil. Everyone's bad. If you go out, you're giving up your Christianity. It's such a load of rubbish, you know. The, most people are lovely. Most people are very decent. Of course, there's, there's some weirdos. There's some horrible, nasty, violent, grotty people out here. So there isn't the brethren yeah. and um but most people are fantastic and the reception i've had at churches has been amazing the teaching i've had at churches knocks the spots off anything anything i've ever heard in the brethren um there's i'd also say for anyone who's in the brethren or coming out there's some fantastic stuff on the internet a couple of really good preachers one is john MacArthur. Um, American pastor, is in his 80s, he's got thousands of sermons, um, and he's very, you think you're listening to brethren, his his theology is very close to the brethren, um, but he knows what he's talking about, and he doesn't practice the extreme stuff that the brethren do, he, He's you know, he would eat, he would have a meal with someone, um, he would help people, he would go out of his way to help people. Mm. Um, and another one, Michael Youssef, who I think he's from Egypt and he converted to Christianity. Um, absolutely brilliant. You know, the, the teaching that's available um, is amazing. And I have a great life out here now. I carry enormous sadness around with me. I'm desperate to see my kids. I've got children in law that I don't know of and haven't met, I've got grandchildren that I don't know of and haven't met. It's heartbreaking. I have, occasionally, you know, might be in a cinema or watching a movie at home. If if there's something that involves reunion, someone comes home or someone meets up after a long time, I have a physiological reaction. I don't see it coming. I will suddenly do a big, like a, it's like a panic attack and I'll be in floods of tears. Yeah. And, it is. I can't do anything about it, and um, it's bizarre. And I'm not necessarily feeling sad. It's just a deep. I don't mm. know where it comes from. Deep, a physiological, emotional reaction that just explodes from inside me when that, yeah. that nerve gets touched. Bang! <laughs> it's, it's,
5: it's, 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 it's right in. It's it's right in the gut. Go- it is. Yeah. For me, For me yeah. it is anyway. It's this, yeah. you know, I can feel it a bit even hearing you talk. It's just this, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's just this gut, um, deep, yeah. and- deep sadness. But it, but life is so good out here too. It's not, you know, we should never feel guilty because no. we've been set free. Whatever the exactly. reason is, we've been set free. Um and, you know, it's it's those that are left behind that I'm
2: learning.
1: Yeah. It's
5: harder for them.
2: I remember, um, you'll remember the sort of uh, review period in 2002, 2003. And my husband saw his mother for the first time in 27 years. Now, he was obviously cut up, but I will never, ever forget the look on his mother's face. He was close to his mother. Um, but she's coming from being in the brethren and she hadn't seen her son for 27 years and the look on her face i it was i'll never forget it it's impossible to describe but it probably was the visual of that gut feeling that you feel
1: Mm.
2: you know um and and that's when you realize the system that those poor people are in it breaks people as you say it breaks people but i think what you've said, Steve, is so important because we hope people in the Brethren listen to our discussions. That's why we do them. We do them to help people who don't understand the Brethren, but we do them to hope people in the Brethren listen. And it's not to be bitter and opposed and all the things we're accused of being. We've said that so many times. But it is to say that actually, look at you, you you've you've come out, um, you've had to lose everything But you've actually found a faith that's kept you really strong. We also know that's not for everybody that leaves. But you do not need to fear that you will lose your faith just because you leave the brethren. And I think that's the big thing to get through. Um, In fact, you'll probably find it's better if you leave the brethren, which seems to be the experience. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. uh, just to go back a bit, you talk about the gut feeling. I just want to share for me, um, personally, if I'm watching a TV programme or watching a uh, film and cinema, if anything comes up about death or burial, my mum's like nearly 90 and I know she's going to go soon. I'm in floods yeah. of years, and you can't, you can't explain it. It's just that gut reaction that you have. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: It is. And who of us know knows what will happen in the future? I think we all live in hope, don't we? That something mm-hmm. will happen to force the change. the yeah. stop, And that's, yeah, that's it.
5: Well, I um, we do know people are, are watching and listening. Um, we don't know. It could be our children.
1: We don't know. You know
5: in, in, in the quiet of the night, I often think, you know, what has gone through their mind? What went through my mind? You exactly. know, and, and, you know, you were whatever age you were I was 44 it took all those years to, to actually have the courage to to step outside to yeah. be honest with ourselves for the first time yeah.
1: yeah
2: well Steve thank you so much for um telling us your story I know there's an awful lot you left out so you'd be welcome back on any time to fill in those gaps um that you want to but I I I We really appreciate it, and I just hope it gets the message out. Um, And I think, as we've said to all of those that have got children in the Brethren, you almost hope your children do watch it and realise what Mm. happened to you, but what's happened now, which is perhaps more important. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Yeah, thank you, Steve.
4: Yeah, thank you, Steve.
1: Okay, thanks. (laughs)
0: If you are in a high demand religious group and need help, please go to oliveleaf.network. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me. Please remember to like this video Subscribe to get a life and comment.